played by Stanley Tucci, the Tooch, uh, has found... <laughs> As he's known yes. in, in, in Hollywood circles. Hey, hey, what do you think about the Tooch? Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Me, you, 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 you. That was just me warming up. <clears throat> That's right. <laughs> Music video sins, Barrett Share. Hi. Those, those were some different ones today. Yeah, we got to mix it up. Sometimes sometimes you're like, ah, oh, there's only so many ways you can say hello. <laughs> and then other, other days you're just like, I'm going to come up with something really fucking weird. That's right. And, yep. and, and, it'll, and it'll work out just fine. Just wait and see what I'll be doing in six years. It's right? going to be like really fucking weird. You're going to figure out how to say it in Swahili. That's right. <laughs> We're going to have uh, a regular episode. but We have a really good, really good episode next week. Ooh. Right? Oh, yeah. Nice tease. Yeah. We're going mean, to Every revisit. episode is really good. We're going to revisit. This episode's going to be awesome. Don't, don't get me wrong. But next week we're gonna we're gonna revisit revisit something we have we have delved into into the pa- in in the past. It's mm-hmm. an update. Mm-hmm. It's like in Unsolved Mysteries where they're like, update. We yes. found that person <laughs> who killed the guy that we dram- dramatized last. Or week. it's like Mamma Mia, where ten years later they go, update. There's a sequel. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Like Sheep is dead. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, some time has passed. Have you guys gotten really, really fucking angry about something lately? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Yeah. I feel like we all have, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not, not not a lot that I'm willing to share with the entire world because plenty of my anger recently is over frivolous, tiny things that are insignificant. But, you know, quarantine anger is different than, like, non-quarantine anger. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. One of the things that's frustrating me lately, and this is my own goddamn fault, is that uh, two or three months ago, I made a conscious decision to put more good stuff in my Twitter timeline. And you do that by following people who tweet good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I have two regret follows that I cannot tell you who they are. <laughs> um I don't want to tell you who they are. Please don't go searching through my thing and figure out who it is and then tweet. It's them. not that's me, not right? The- no, but this is not the point. <laughs> but the rant is people who tweet 50 to 100 times a day. Mm, that's a lot like, of tweeting. You, first of all, most of the people who do this have a lot of followers. There's a lot of crossover. And so if person A tweets a thing that is very popular, it shows up in my feed 32 times. Mm. I may be just trying to see what the news is lately, or if Dicer has tweeted a pun, or if Barrett has tweeted out a puppy photo, but I have to go through all 50 of your goddamn musings, not all of which are epic. And mm. you may be the most delightful person in the world, but I don't want to mute delightful people. Just yeah. tweet less. Like yeah. there is, I can't think of a good reason why it should be that open a flow of thoughts from someone's head that 50 or 100 times you go out in one day 
to say something. Like I struggle. My goal is to tweet about five times a day, and sometimes I can barely get that. Yeah, I was um, wondering what the sweet spot was. Is is like I don't five know. around the sweet well, spot for you? If I had to guess, the sweet spot if you want to get a bunch of followers is to tweet fifty or hundred goddamn times a day, yeah. and that's why it's being done. But I can't, I can't do that to my followers. Like I have live tweeted some events that you can mute for twenty four hours. I usually warn you in advance, but on a daily basis, you don't want to see fifty of my thoughts in your timeline. You want to? <laughs> you blend. even warned us recently when all you, the. The the blue checks disappeared for a while. <laughs> like you may want to mute, mute me. Yeah, exactly. You may want to mute me. I'm about to be stupid, but there are people who I genuinely like, and I want their positivity in my feed. I just don't want so fucking much of it. I um, I uh, was uh, visiting a relative a few years ago who was in business with somebody who, uh had some sort of uh, way of making money on Twitter. Um, I guess, and I don't, I don't know how Twitter works. All I do is read Twitter. I don't, I don't know the, the machinations of it or anything like that. Um, but uh, I guess you get some sponsored posts and stuff maybe, or you get something mm-hmm. that gets, uh, gets some sort of advertisement. Uh, but uh, this guy would, uh, would talk was talking to me and he was saying something to the effect of, you know, I need to get this guy to tweet this many times today. He needs to constantly be out there tweeting because that's what makes money. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I guess, uh, it almost sounded pyramid schemey, uh, in a way because it almost sounded like he, he had a bunch of people doing this like for him in a way. Interesting. Uh, I don't know how that, how that completely, I never, I didn't really get down into asking the, all of the reasons how this works or anything like that. I just heard, I just listened to him talk about it. Let's hear another rant. Yeah. Um, I, I hate lines guys. Mm-hmm. I, I, hate, mm-hmm. I hate lines worse than anything like cocaine would, like cocaine lines yeah i hate those too especially i mean <laughs> put a put it in a crack pipe like everybody else yeah. does right <laughs> right what I, I've, I've said it once up in your nose you need to just smoke it like everybody like a normal person um but no i hate i hate lines at stores and like I, as a as a person who worked at a movie theater for a long time, I hated it when my own theater would have lines that would build up. Um, like you would be in customer service or something like that, and you would take a look and you'd see this line that was like ten deep, and mm. and you'd see a manager. And I know that like you know your company, especially like people like you know Regal and everything, would be like, well, the managers aren't supposed to be the, on the registers. It's only the the underlings that are supposed to do that. You're supposed to supervise and all that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Break that rule. Break it every time. Mm-hmm. You, there's, there's no reason why you should let 10 people sit there while one person struggles with a popcorn. Uh, and so, like, uh, I would see this all the time with this one particular manager. It would just drive me crazy. She'd sit there and, like, be, like, cleaning stuff and everything. And, like, you're sitting there, like, there's 10 fucking people in line. And you're just like, yeah, doing something that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so yesterday I went to PetSmart. I had a great day yesterday up until PetSmart. 
<laughs> I went to the grocery store. I got 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 my groceries, and then I was like, okay, I need to go to PetSmart. I need to get some some cat food and everything. Uh, the pet the PetSmart is right next door to the Publix. Went into PetSmart. There wasn't anybody really in there. It didn't feel nice. like I was like, oh my god, this is so great. Went in, got the stuff that I needed really quick. Came back. There was a line five deep already Jesus. by the time I got back. Hmm. And I didn't understand. It didn't make any sense to me. And they had one register open. And I saw other people when I came in. I saw other people working at the store when I walked in. I had a table full of, like, you know, uh, uh, hand sanitizer and shit like that. There's one guy uh, uh, setting that shit up. Hmm. And they, there was probably another or two, one or two that I ran across as I was going and getting my stuff. And I, just, and I just don't know. I don't know what I don't I don't pretend to know what a store values in their employees or whatever. But I feel like if you're just stocking something, who gives a shit, man? You can you have all day to stock. Go go clean up this mess of and once and I stood I stood in line long enough because the person who was in the front of the line was having to do something with some sort of coupon book or some shit. And that drives me up a fucking wall. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I, I noticed, uh, as I was standing in line, I turned around and like another five or six people had gotten behind me even. And I was like, is there, is anybody going to come up and like do a register finally? And, uh, and finally someone did, but it, but like every person that came up, here's the other part of the equation. Every person that came up seemed to have something that was non-cashier related. Like they weren't put going up there and giving an item to be scanned and put in the in the bag. They had a question to ask, or they had to get the, or they had to get the cashier to like leave their post just to go find something. And you're just like, there are so many people in the store you could have done that with instead of standing in line the whole time. And you know, you would see people. This is the other thing. You'll see people. Like the person in front of me or like two deep, two in front, two in front of me turned around and did this whole like, oh my God, this is kind of fucked up. Right. And like, then that person got up to the register and they had something stupid and special to like, do. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's complete unawareness and everything. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's the one, that's the thing. I don't, I don't understand. I feel like businesses value some other sort of bullshit over getting the people out the door. And I don't understand that. Like just have, you know, you're, you make everything run so much smoother when you have everybody just getting out the door instead of doing mm-hmm. your like, you know, mm-hmm. price tags or whatever the fuck you're doing. Well, yeah, that's your top aisle. priority is <laughs> getting them out. Bam. You know who's good at this is Publix. Um, granted, Publix concentrates on customer service as much as anything uh, and more than, Kroger does or Walmart for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm going to piggyback on your story. Uh, I, I hate lines. Uh, I hate grocery lines. I hate them, especially during a pandemic. They're yeah. extra anxious. But the other day, before I went to the store, I had a Xanax. <clears throat> now, mm. I'm not recommending people take drugs. But <clears throat> this is the first time in 20 years a line has not annoyed me. I'm standing behind a woman. God love her. She, the melon is $2.99 in the ad, but it's ringing up $3.99. Her entire order is two melons. Um, and she turns to me and says, I'm sorry. And I, I've been there. I've been there for 10 minutes. My shit is all on the rack. And I literally said, I don't even have any idea what's going on. I'm good. 
And I was like, as chill as I have ever been. But Publix opened up two other lanes for everybody that had piled up behind me. And by the time I checked out, everybody was checked out. And Mm -hmm. I was very impressed. Uh, And more stores should do that because I swear to God, sometimes in Kroger, used to work for Kroger, not bashing them. I swear I can see people hiding. I swear I can see people like hiding from the lines so they don't get called to come bag or open a register. Um, And uh, it kind of makes me angry. Yeah, it's the worst. Your your wife used to work at Barnes & Noble, right, Jeremy? Yep. When I was at Barnes & Noble back 20 years ago, we were mandated if the line got beyond three people, we had to call like a code nine or something like that. And that meant another cashier, another bookseller had to come up to, we're all generalists. It's not like there's a stock person and there's a this and there's a that and all that stuff. There's a manager and then there's the rest of us. Cafe is cafe. That's a different story. But the rest of us are booksellers. And if somebody calls a code nine or whatever it was called, then, and you go beyond three customers and you're the only one up there, that somebody's got to go up there. Another three customers, same thing. I don't know if that's still the case, but it should be mandated within that. And none of us really bitched about it. I mean, we didn't necessarily like, we liked stocking the books and looking at shit and stuff like that uh, and fiddle farting around. But if there's a one person up there with nine customers, you're screwing that one person and you're screwing those other eight people that yeah. aren't getting help, you know? I will yeah. say, I will again, I only had experience working at Kroger as far as groceries go, but Kroger is, is data obsessed. And so... They they're part of the problem is that it's from corporate structure. They anytime you hop on a register, you end up when you're done with a score, a ring tender score. How fast did you ring up everything you were supposed to ring up? And if your score is bad, you get docked and it's another way to keep from getting a raise. And so I I personally know when I was a manager, there were kids that did not want to hop on register because they didn't want to just add one more thing for them to be scrutinized for on that shift. God damn. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good motivation. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying that's how it happens sometimes. (laughs) It's it's not necessarily – I mean, the kid who's hiding should stop hiding, but the corporate structure created the reason why he's hiding. Yeah, I'll say that, uh, you know, at movie theaters, like, I I mean, I remember when I was in uh, New York at Atlas Park, man, that we had the the way that that structure was uh, the, you know, it was an outdoor mall and it was like a square, basically. And uh, and uh, (laughs) there wasn't very there wasn't uh, any space to put like. Uh, customers who were waiting to go into the movie. Like there was no, the, the theater was very small An eight screen. The lobby was very small. And so whenever we had a big movie that had 300 people about to go into it, there wasn't any place to put them except outside. And like, there were a lot of experiments there, like uh, lining them up, lining them up on the stairs, which was, which was a no, no. And, uh, lining them up just down below the stairs and everything. But then people would just walk past that line and, you know, fuck yeah. things up. But um, there wasn't really any good way of doing it. Uh, I suggested something that everybody was like, no, that won't work. Okay. Let's just not try it then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so like um, uh, I remember one time uh, a, a bunch of ushers went in to clean this one auditorium. We had 300 people uh, waiting outside. And uh, I was threading the movie up and one of the managers, the assistant managers and one of the ushers with the light still up and the, the clean, the theater clean, just sat down and just started talking for a while. 
while there mm. was this big, huge line of people waiting to come in, come in the auditorium. And Jesus. it just infuriated me. Um, and uh, started talking a lot of shit, too, around the theater uh, about that, too. Uh, I can't the, imagine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, I just came downstairs and I was like, you believe this bullshit? Manager's in there sitting there talking to an usher the whole time. <laughs> Fucking bullshit, guys. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's my rant. All right. I got uh, I got something kind of tech based too. And I'm sure I've talked about it before. Or we've talked about it before, but it seems like it's happening. Maybe it's quarantine and pandemic related. It seems like it's happening more lately. The scourge of serial texting. Mm. What I mean by that is, hey, how's it going? Immediately. Did you hear this new album? Immediately. Did you see this new movie? Immediately. Uh, it's yeah. really good. Immediately. Mm. What do you think about this performance? Immediately. And I swear to God, I'm getting five, six, seven texts in a row before I can respond. Now, the caveat is you can see on an iPhone, at least you can see the three little dots where you can see if somebody's responding. Okay. You can see if I'm typing out like a thing saying, uh, yeah, I did see that movie. If you then proceed to send another text and another text, you're not interested in my response, right? So why are you texting me in the first place? There's, there, You should send one text, and maybe I'm on an island here. I no. think you should send one text, wait for a response. In weird contingencies, you can either send a follow-up text related to that first text, or... You know, uh, basically saying or a clarification text or something like that. Two is the limit. Five <laughs> is right out. <laughs> it's not fucking email, man. It's a text. Yeah. Right? And don't email me. It's like it's, it's like if I talk to you, if I'm if I'm literally looking at you and I ask you five questions in a row, what question do you want me to answer? Yeah. You know who communicates like that? Five year olds. Hey, what you doing? What you doing? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? Mine's pink. Well, <laughs> these, this is coming from people that I respect, that I love, and that, that are friends of mine, that are family. And it's like, I don't understand the mentality. And again, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't understand how you communicate like that. Like, mm -hmm. what question do you want me to respond to? Do you want me to respond to the last one or to the first one first and then go through sequentially? But then if you respond, there'll be another wall of sequential mm -hmm. text. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, I, I don't understand the mentality of it, especially with people who can converse like normal people. Have you guys run into this at all? Hmm. Um, uh, yes, I have one friend that does it, but I don't communicate with him often. Uh, <laughs> because of that <laughs> may, no just because of life circumstances but th you're absolutely right i don't even think this is a subjective issue this is it's, i think this is an entirely objective fact-based issue don't do it it's don't logistic it. yeah I, literally i don't know what to respond to or how to communicate using this method right yeah yeah, yeah the, no. the 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 uh, there is one person that I, I and I'm the same as Jeremy. There's I don't talk to this person that often, but there is one person who will text me about movies every once in a while, and I'll and I'll say no, nah, I haven't seen that or whatever, and then there'll be another text about something, and I'll be like, I'll start responding to that, and then the ch the subject changes 
mm-hmm. while I'm in mm-hmm. the middle of that response. Yes. And then he'll, and so, so that the subject changes and then I'll go to answer that. And then he'll answer the thing from the first thing that I said. Oh, and, you know, this is no like, way to communicate. Yeah. This but is also, no way to communicate. I, I, where I thought you were going was it's not an email. It's also not an open phone call. You make right. text, I respond when I respond, but it does right. not give you permission. You do not have my complete attention now just because I have texted you back and we are now like having a phone call over words. With yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how it works. There's yeah. a different medium for that. It's called a phone. Fucking use it. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> I've gotten to the point where even on our Slack channel, where if I see you know, one person is typing or definitely if two people are typing, mm, I'm going to shut just, the fuck up. Yep, yeah. I wait. There's, then it becomes lots of people are talking. And I'm like, what the fuck is going to happen with this? There's going to be a wall of text and everybody's responding to different things. I'm yeah, going to you, wait until everything settles down. And then if I need to respond, then I will respond. It's out of control when you have to at somebody <laughs> to respond to something they said yeah. like six lines up. <laughs> Yeah, now that exactly. happens occasionally, but I try to uh, to mitigate that. That's the and way certainly it is on text all the time on Discord. By the way, whenever <laughs> I whenever somebody has addressed me about something, like by the time I see it, usually there's been like forty other other like <laughs> entries, and like they're on to like three <laughs> different topics. And then I go and I'm like, okay, I, I was actually notified of something. So I go and scroll through all of these things. And then I'm like, oh, it's like, I heard you talking about this movie on the Sincast. I just watched it. And I go past all this wall of text. They're sitting there talking about zebras and giraffes and shit. And then so like I go down and I'm like, yeah, I love that movie too. <laughs> you know? That's one of the only real advantages of Reddit, I guess, is that you can respond directly to that comment, right? Yeah, yeah. it's threaded. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's a threaded uh, discussion. Threaded Reddit. And they all all of them have their benefits and you know and downfalls. It's just you know use each communication tool the correct way, please. Correct. Oh, and when it comes to text, and especially you've got no excuse with the iPhone. If somebody either doesn't respond or you see the three dots, stop your thumbs from moving. Mm-hmm. Or if you get a pointy pointy finger text thing, don't do that. With Wait. jagged pointy teeth. <laughs> I think the movies are making this worse because in the movies, when somebody texts somebody, they respond immediately and then they have a whole conversation. <laughs> That's There's true. A, this That's is, true. The, uh, in uh, what's I got to remember the show's name now. Um, Euphoria? No, no. It's close. That's close, though. It's the one that why can't I think of this name? I'm the only person who's seen this show. And I, I bet I bet if I bring it up, you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's uh, this. <laughs> um the one, it's the faux documentary comedy series that was on Netflix for two seasons. Oh, yeah, the shit, the poo. The yeah, well, yeah, the, the one American of them. American Vandal. One, yeah, American Vandal. So on American Vandal, the second season, there. this is what was so brilliant about that show and why I'm so upset that they didn't make more of these and everything, is that they would they would take these slices of life, like the three dot thing and turn it into a whole thing. And like, they, they would be like someone, someone would text the, the investigators or whatever. And they would be like, and he, and he would be about to say something. He's like, no, 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 
you don't want to start typing now to see the three dot thing. You don't want to see the three dots thing yet. <laughs> there's this whole big discussion. Like everything, like everything that kids use, everything that we use in modern society and everything, they have some sort of like, it, there's some sort of like thought process they have to go through to, you know, to, uh, to solve some of these things. It's really great. So that's, that's some solid ranting, right? There. I think so, man. That's, that's some of the best ranting we've done in weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody got any recommends, warns, record warns? Totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck yeah! Ooh. Oh, sounds like Barrett wants to wants to talk. Oh, I think Jeremy should go first because we've all seen his first recommend, right? Sure. Uh, let's just call it our recommend because uh, I want to save my own. I, I want to have my own personal recommend. But we all have seen and recommend the HBO documentary directed by Alex Winter called Showbiz Kids. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's a very interesting look um, at what it's like to grow up a child star. It left me with the impression that anyone who ends up a normal adult after that experience is probably overachieving Mm -hmm. um there is some very frank talk i don't mean r-rated i just mean some very honest talk particularly from evan rachel wood and Mm. will whedon um both have moments where i'm like i cannot believe they actually said that Mm. uh but they all said said similar things. I, I think almost everybody they actually interviewed who's still alive that was a child star at some point in their interview said, and that's when I stopped trusting everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was a recurring theme for me. Uh, I've seen this now uh, three times. I watched it once. I watched it with my wife uh, and then it was on again yesterday and I watched most of it. Um, and uh, it, it it's just fascinating. You guys saw it uh, way mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, it, it obviously, uh, you're not going to, you're not going to keep hearing, you're not going to hear a lot of varied, uh, stories in here. Cause it, like you said, everybody inevitably comes to the same kinds of conclusions and people think that you're way more mature than you are. And, and, uh, and they start treating you like that. Uh, this is especially true with Mila Jovovich who, mm-hmm. um, who was, uh, discovered as a model, like when she was 12 or 13 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they, they, they could make her up to look like she was 19 or 20 years old in her and she picture. Did. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's sort of her, her beginnings into that whole thing. And people started, you know, thinking that she was that kind of age and everything. And she says she makes an illusion to wow, I had all this trouble with guys and stuff like that, and she doesn't get into detail, but you know that there was some serious bullshit going on with Mila mm-hmm. Jovovich, especially since, and they just kind of lightly touch on this. She went and eloped with that dude from Dazed and Confused that uh, uh, who played uh, what's his name? Um, he's the guy who was supposed to have the party in Dazed and Confused at his house, and oh, uh, she eloped with that guy when she was seventeen years old. And, uh, and so there were a lot of different, uh, things and, you know, yeah, it's amazing to, to watch her now. She's like 45 years old and she's, uh, you know, she seems like she has adjusted to all of that, but she went through some shit. Uh, she seems like she's, yeah, she's, she's kind of, it's, it's weird. Come to terms with it. Like, it seems like she's, she's, 
m- more jovial about all this stuff than even somebody older like Henry Thomas. I guess Henry Thomas is older than her, right? Yeah, yeah, a few yeah. years. Just a few years. Uh, Henry Thomas still seems bitter. Will Wheaton even seems fairly bitter. Evan Rachel Wood seems bitter. And I don't mean bitter in a wrong way because yeah. they're justifiably bitter uh, about certain things. Uh, you know, a lot of them still continue to have sometimes a great career. Like Jada Pinkett Smith is on there. Uh, mm-hmm. She was a child star. Mila Jovovich still has a very good career. Um, Evan Rachel Wood obviously has a terrific career mm-hmm. going right now. Uh, Mara Wilson, who's on there, uh, has chosen to stop acting, at least for the the moment, right? And Seems yeah, like I don't it. think she's that interested in doing that anymore. I mean, she was the quintessential child star. Yeah. And when she started to get into her awkward teenager phase and everything, that, that's when Hollywood stopped uh, wanting her in movies anymore. This is the thing Henry Thomas is talking about was like, he was walking into auditions when he was 18 and they were all expecting ET Henry Thomas yeah. to show <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so I love that story. He tells about Drew Barrymore coming up to him on the ET set and saying, <laughs> how many movies have you been in? And he said, well, this is my first. How about you? And she said, well, this is my fourth. And the interviewer says, how old was she? And he's like six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I also want to talk about real quick that that a couple of them, but specifically Evan Rachel Wood talks about uh, because of the talent, <clears throat> they they won't let you be a kid anymore. Uh, and she she there's this heartbreaking sequence where she says, you know, talented actresses, serious actresses, don't want to go outside and play. So mm-hmm. if I ever felt like I just wanted to go outside and play, you know, that was deemed you know, unacceptable. They were disappointed in me because I'm supposed to be about the serious crap, but she's still just a little kid. I'm not going to lie, man. This, a lot of this rang true for me as a preacher's kid, not to say that it's on any level the same, but just that within a church, the preacher's kid is somewhat treated like a celebrity on that local community level to the point where, you know, I was supposed to I was supposed to sit still in Sunday school class. I wasn't supposed to be fidgety. I wasn't supposed to want to go outside and play. I was supposed to act on the preacher's kid. You got to act straight. I even texted another preacher's kid I know who saw this movie and said, tell me that this rang true for you. And mm. this person said, yes. Um, again, not the same level or anything, but the, I, I think the idea that I came away with is that we, we are doing more damage to our kids than we think uh, when we let them have fans. When we let, I even was talking to my wife about the high school star quarterback probably feels this way. Like the whole thing about, does this person want to be my friend because I'm popular or does this person want to be my friend because they actually want to be my friend? All those Mm. child stars said that. Uh, And I think you can feel that on a micro level, uh, even in everyday life. If you are on any level, a celebrity in your community, it can be very hard to trust who your real friends are. Uh, and I think that makes this documentary super relatable. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really good, really interesting, and uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I think we all all highly recommend it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, uh, we were having a discussion about the best rock movies, the best The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson movies, <laughs> and one of the ones that came up was Pain and Gain, and mm. um, and we hadn't I hadn't seen it in forever, but uh, just sort of to add uh, add more clarity to what we were doing in that uh, discussion. I watched the movie again 
And uh, Michael Bay is not is not the the type of guy that uh, you know. I really like to come out and full throat recommend any movie that he makes because <laughs> um, most of his movies are dumb. And this movie uh, certainly has a lot of Michael Bay in it. Man, it's so Michael Bay. It you know it, you might as well have thrown a transformer in it somewhere. But um, just lurking in the background, right? Just in the background, <laughs> smoking a cigarette, something. Um, uh, but um, but uh, pain and gain is about this uh, this uh, fitness trainer played by Mark Wahlberg and his buddy and his buddy Anthony Mackie, and uh, they want to uh, steal uh, uh, this one client's possessions, his money, and everything. It's played by Tony Shalhoub. Um, and, uh, and they get one last guy to come in and that's, uh, Dwayne Johnson plays this guy, um, who, uh, who is just out of jail and he doesn't, and he, and he's just found, he's found, uh, Christ and everything. And he doesn't want to do anything else. He's, he was in jail because of drugs and, uh, and, uh, he thought he, he thinks he's on his way to going back to being normal, being in a normal life again, but he runs into Mark Wahlberg and Anthony Mackie and they have this scheme to like, uh, you know, kidnap this guy and basically take all of his shit by like writing up contracts and having him sign it and have a notary and all this other stuff. It's great. <laughs> it's a crazy story. Of course, it comes out of Florida. Um, it's a real it, story, right? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a real story that happened. Uh, I don't know how much they embellished on this. It is Michael Bay and it's very satirical. Um, it's, uh, and it's just, it's just funny. And this, just the stupidity of these, of these people, it's the perfect, it's like, it's, I feel like Michael Bay should make this movie more often, but this is by far and away one of his least grossing films he's ever made in his life. So there's yeah. a reason why he, he won't make more of these, mm. but, um, but man, some of the stuff, there's some of the casual throwaway lines in it and everything. Anthony Mackie at one point is um, in the room while Mark Wahlberg, who's completely in over his head, he thinks he's a genius, man. He thinks he's a criminal <laughs> genius. Um, he's like sitting there like, we'll do this and we'll do that. And then we'll have all the money. And he's like, and Anthony Mackie was like, it's like, I knew he was bullshitting, but I knew we were going to be rich afterwards. <laughs> is the narration that goes, I knew he was, I knew he wasn't, I knew he knew, knew didn't know what he was talking about, but I didn't care. I was going to be rich. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a point where he's got like, uh, Anthony Mackey's got, he's like a, um, he's got a sex toy in front of him and it's like, you know, rotating around and shit. And he's like, he's like, man, so the, some of the, some of the machinery in this is really sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's really funny and it's really good. And I think it's only got like a 6.3 on the IMDB, but uh, people are wrong a lot of times or, <laughs> or I'm just more open to some movie like this. And it's just, it's insane. It's exactly what you expect is going on in Florida all the time. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it's so entertaining. Uh, it's, it's one of my, it's gotta be along with like the Island, which is another underseen Michael Bay movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's gotta be up there at the top of, of his movies for me. What What are we looking at? Is the island number one for Michael Bay movies? Um, look, the island. <laughs> look, 
it ain't maybe. perfect. <laughs> it may it ain't perfect, but I love that movie. I also <laughs> still appreciate the first Transformers movie, bloated as it is. Yeah. Uh it has a charm to me that is completely erased by the second through the fifteenth Transformers right. movies. Well and, um, and and some people will put bad boys. The first the bad, bad boys. boys. Yep. And yep. uh and uh and I you know I still like The Rock as dumb as it is. The oh, Rock is still up there. Yeah, The Rock is probably the top for me. Mm-hmm. Uh that to me is the now, I haven't seen Pain and Gain, but that to me is the perfect mix of Michael Bay craziness versus like actual almost like over the top to where it's comedic performances. And that sounds mm-hmm. like what you're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. I, I I it's one of those like if you haven't seen that, give it a look. Maybe maybe it'll uh develop a, a decent following at some point. I kinda hope it does. Do you think there's a future where to either end the franchise or bring it back to life, Michael Bay directs a fast and furious movie? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh god worlds would collide i'm just saying uh, would that not be a sell there's certainly a a a world where he would uh, direct one of those movies i can see the trailer now mm-hmm. michael bay a lot of cars flipping over in slow motion fucking a man they're the same fucking universe anyway every single one of his <laughs> movies takes place in the fast and furious universe yeah. no question that's like in 1992 when guns and roses and metallica toured together <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it's too much rock. <laughs> Worlds are colliding too much. It's like splitting the atom. Yes. Uh anyway, you got something, Barrett? I, I gotta check that one out. Yes. Uh okay. So I've got a I've got a bunch of recommends, man. I've got some good ones. Me too. But I just recently saw this actually happened yesterday as of this recording. We're recording on Tuesday. The reunion of one of my favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was all for charity uh peopleforwater.org uh bringing water to underserved uh, uh areas around the world so it was all for a good cause but it's also bad ass mm. what happened uh was uh edgar wright somehow pulled off with universal's blessing and universal saying uh i don't know if they helped facilitate or whatever uh most of the cast the originator of the comic book, Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, his co-writer, uh, Mark Platt, and almost all the cast. You've got Anna Kendrick, who's playing both her regular character, Stacey uh, Scott's sister, and also Brie Larson's character, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, you've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Chris Evans comes back. Uh, Allison Pill is there. Aubrey Plaza is hilariously there. She literally has a prop. That you know when she curses in the movie and mm-hmm. there's a black bar that comes up, she has a prop like on a stick, like a black bar, like <laughs> where she pulls it up. Uh, Does she even Jason, do the sound effect? Uh, no, there's a bleep on there that they uh, did in okay. post. I'm sure. Jason Schwartzman is here, not only doing his Gideon thing, he's literally wearing a T-shirt with his own face on it. Awesome. <laughs> which is awesome. the most Jason Schwartzman thing that you yes, could ever is. imagine. Yes, it uh, is. Uh, Ellen Wong is there, which is great. Satya Baba, who played uh, Matthew Patel, is there. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. I'll tell you why. Because I like this this movie, obviously, a whole lot. But what this read-through does, it's all via Zoom. It's all pandemic-related and all that stuff. And it's all for charity. What they do is Brian Lee O'Malley is literally sketching the scene as they're reading the scene. 
And by the end of the scene, he holds it up and they auction that, that thing off. Oh, for oh that, that's they're cool. all amazing. They're all beautiful. Uh, and then uh, you've got the sound effects, you've got the music, uh, you've got Brandon Routh, by the way, has not aged. And literally Chris Evans says, why hasn't Routh aged? And I'm, this is like in Captain America. So why hasn't Superman aged in the last 10 years? And he hasn't. He's wearing the same like three jersey from the movie and everything. He's got a bass and that he's playing and like pointing at the camera and stuff like that. Awesome. The best part about this thing is Michael Sarah is, is there and doing his Scott Pilgrim stuff. But how much they crack each other up. And that's the reason to watch this is that they'll read lines like, you once were a vegan, now you be gone. And everybody just fucking like loses it. Like even Edgar Wright will lose it. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic. It's on YouTube right now. It's a, it's an hour and a half. It's the whole thing right now. Uh, do it. And if you do it now, uh, they don't have like the, the paywall of having to donate to, to peopleforwater.org, but you should do that. And I did do that. I tell you what, if you haven't seen this movie before and you know Chris Evans, of course you know Chris Evans uh, from Captain America. Uh, he is maybe rivaling Keanu Reeves as one of the most likable dudes in Hollywood from what I've seen in interviews and things like this. Uh, but his part in this movie is fucking hilarious. He's yeah. playing an action star. And it, he even does, Chris, you've seen this a million times. He does the eyebrow thing. He can oh, still yeah. do that thing where they're like almost in a V and suddenly he becomes less Captain America and literally this Johnny blaze or whatever the fuck he is. At the, I just, uh, I Lucas just want is the guy's name. I just want to hear him say, uh, they, they're the ones who do all the, 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 the dangerous stuff while I'm getting blazed in my winning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like reading <laughs> off his iPhone. His dog is jumping on him. He's like, when I get blazed in my winning, <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, go to YouTube and, and look up Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It was actually Entertainment Weekly, I think, put it on. Uh, and uh, it's it's fantastic. If you like the movie, even if you don't like the movie, it's worth it just to get kind of like the the interaction between these people. You could tell that they really enjoyed working with each other. Edgar Wright, I'd never heard really like talk or give interviews and stuff like that. You've Chris, you probably listened to a bunch of commentary. I, well, no, I've only heard the one that was on the police story Blu-ray where they got him for, you know, cause he was a big fan of the movie or whatever, mm. but that was the only time I've ever heard him talk. It was the first time I'd seen him or knew what he looked like, uh, was on that police story interview. He is so engaging. He is so charismatic. He's reading all the stage instructions. He's reading all the exteriors and interiors and that kind of thing. And you can tell why people respond to him because every time he's cracking everybody up too. every time he says something like everybody kind of snaps to attention. He's just got one of those personalities where you, you can tell he would be an excellent conductor on set. You know what I mean? Where it's like, especially with a cast like this, even before they were well known, like you need to do this. You need to do this, especially with that kinetic editing and that kinetic acting and stuff like that. Even in this read through, they had the timing down. It may have been edited down, but there was times where you could hear them jumping on the back of each other's lines, just falling into that rhythm. And that's an Edgar Wright kind of specialty is that dialogue. It's been a uh, thing that they've been doing uh, during the quarantine. You have the Josh Gad thing, the, uh, uh, 
like back together apart or something like that or whatever mm. it's called where you got the cast of Ferris Bueller back and they got the cast of uh what was the other one that I saw saw Ferris Bueller one and I saw there were a lot of these like 80s movies and everything that keep they 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 find the cast you know however many years later and uh talk about their experiences on it and everything it's all good stuff it's all chair all of its charity from what I yeah. understand um but uh yeah uh more uh, uh, more recommends bring um, it baby i'm gonna recommend two things one really quick i'm playing a new ps4 game called ghost of tsushima Ooh. it is an open world samurai game um i am about two hours into it and it is the single most beautiful video game i've ever played in my life hmm. um there are entire scenes that feel like paintings like, like art the, the landscape the colors and the gameplay is really freaking cool uh i'm enjoying the hell of it big recommend now for the real recommend <laughs> i'm ready it's a record worn in text but in spirit it's a recommend and it's charlie's <laughs> angels 2019 oh, God. <laughs> i have now seen this movie and I, I want to talk about this very specifically i've now seen this movie about eight or nine times now every single viewing has been background viewing. And I think that is the only way to watch this movie hmm. so that you can turn your head and go, oh, this scene's really clever, and then go back to what you were doing for another scene, and then turn your head and go, oh, Kristen Stewart's really funny in this scene. And you can take the bite sizes that are good and miss the stretches that are kind of saggy. But Kristen Stewart is having more fun here than I've ever seen her have. I've and never seen her have fun. Well, and it's it, maybe that's what's so delightful about it. Yeah. Just, you know, you ever see a performance where you're just like, that actor was having a blast. Yeah. And it's just evident. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, she was allowed to play herself, both with personality, uh, sexuality. Um, <clears throat> uh, Naomi Scott, who you might remember from the live action Aladdin film, which was terrible, <laughs> is in this. She's really charming. There's a scene in the middle where they go to like a safe house and the guy that their cue is also their spiritual healer. And he almost steals the movie. It's Luis Gerardo Mendez. Um, getting, giving me shades of um, <clears throat> Hank Azaria in uh, Birdcage. In nice. Of- I saw that last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, he says, now I understand the circumstances that brought you here were stressful. And we get a close up on her and she goes, so stressful. And I just want to hug her. She's freaking adorable. <laughs> um there are things that don't work. There's a couple of stunt castings that pretty much signal what's going on. Um, but I am just, I find it super enjoyable. I bet if I had to sit down and watch it from beginning to end, I would not enjoy it very much. It's probably a C plus or a B minus movie, but in bites, I'm falling in love with it. Uh, to the music cues now, if I'll hear them when I'm not even looking, I'll know it's like Pavlov's bell. I'll go like, Oh yes, I want to watch this scene. This is the scene where they do the stuff um yes. <laughs> i i, I record warn it because you know in an official capacity if i recommend it they'll come take my card but um i do love it i'm, I'm full on now man I'm do you fan. know what the story oh. is like uh like what the have you watched i've it seen it enough all now the way to, through oh absolutely like total? <laughs> oh absolutely yeah naomi okay. scott is a girl who works for this tech company that has created this product called callisto and it is basically Free energy. That's the intent, is that it's this little hexagonal dongle that sits on your desk and can zap electricity wirelessly to all your devices. But 
it has a flaw. It can also be used as an EMP to kill humans by zapping their brainwaves. Oh. And there are some bad guys who might, might want to use that. So the angels go to steal it, but it's already been stolen. Dun, dun, dun. By Crispin they, Glover. <laughs> they, no. <laughs> no, but actually playing the Crispin Glover role is Jonathan Tucker, who has been in a lot of TV shows. He's on Westworld. Um, and uh, he's all tatted up and looking tough here. I remember him from uh, Virgin Suicides and The Ruins. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's definitely playing the Crispin Glover role here. And Naomi Scott is not an angel, uh, but because she knows so much about this Callisto product and they want to kill her, uh, the angels take her in. Of course, by the end, she becomes an angel. Um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Warts and all, flaws and all, misuse of Jaimon Hansu and all. I love it. <laughs> this was uh, directed by Elizabeth Banks, right? It was. It was. And that. I have nothing to say about that. Yeah. Um, she does a fine job. Um, she's also one of the lead roles. She's playing Bosley. Uh, oh, OK. Um, to these girls. And uh, supposedly, according to this movie, this takes place in the same universe as all previous incarnations of Charlie's Angels. Mm. And this movie tells us there are multiple Bosleys around the world with their own teams of angels. So <clears throat> there you all go. Right. All right. All There's right. a very, very funny scene where Kristen Stewart and the other gal, I can't remember her name because I'm an asshole, go to the bad guy's safe and you think they're going to break into the safe. And you get a you get a POV of the safe's buttons, and you see Kristen Stewart reach up her fingers and go beep boop blop boop beep boop blop boop beep, and she just hits a bunch of random buttons because they're actually trying to draw the security team into that room, uh, and it's just a funny little comedic moment. And I'm just I don't know. It I haven't sucks. seen this I love yet. It. I don't, I'm not opposed to seeing this. Hey, Chris, have you seen it yet? No, but I have it. Uh... Have it uh, waiting for me. This, uh, it's I on stars. A, it's I've on a, stars. I've got a 4K Charlie's Angels nice. with my name on it. There's nice. at least one scene I would really like to watch in 4K. Yeah. <laughs> I think I may know what you're talking about. Was it in the trailer? Was it in the trailer? I think so. Yeah. 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 I'm not ashamed anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to go public. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time to talk about movie. Movie, movie. Uh-huh. Well, listen to the chuckles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What um, kind of movie are you going to talk about, Chuckles? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, discuss the movies that you, that you have watched, uh, Barrett, because uh, those are I've I think I've watched uh, I've overlapped on a couple of those. They're, man, there's such a good lineup. So they have a library. Movie does. It's a streaming curated service, and they've got a library, but they also have the regular normal 30 movie lineup that they keep replacing one movie uh, every day. And there's some stuff that you wouldn't be exposed to right now. There was one uh, called a tribute to Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Now I've seen the Spike Lee movie, Malcolm X, and I've seen interviews with the real Malcolm X before I've read about Malcolm X before. Um, This is very much, a straightforward piece uh, by a guy, uh, a, a news report almost, uh, by a guy who was influenced by Malcolm X. Um, and basically is, I, I don't want to say dispassionate, but but observant of mm-hmm. his impact after he died, four years after he died. <clears throat> there's an interview with his widow, uh, Betty Shabazz. And uh, there is archival footage about you know, what he's done, the impact that he's had uh, on society uh, before he died. 
And it ends on probably a six or seven minute speech that he gave multiple times, actually. And I'm not going to quote the speech whatsoever. Uh, it actually does show up in the movie Malcolm X in a different context. Uh, but when you watch this guy uh, at work um, in the middle of his oration, there is nothing more compelling. You could see why he touched so many people. He was such a skilled orator. Uh, and I, I can't speak to the content of it because obviously it, the message is not necessarily for me in quotations, but I can speak to the way it made me feel. And it made me feel absolutely um, just transfixed with the words, with the context in the, in the mid to late sixties uh, and, and in the struggle that you could see uh, from him and his constituents. And I got to tell you for a short, you know, 16 minute film, it absolutely impacted me. And it's from a perspective that I certainly would never have on my own. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's an interesting, um, like it, you, you said it's like a news report. It does feel like it, this section was cut out of a longer yeah. uh, thing. Uh, and they've, they've just crafted it into this 16 minutes of here's Malcolm X, uh, and everything. And it is fascinating for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely worth, uh, worth, uh, worth a look. Um, I, uh, went a little bit more mainstream, uh, with the one that, uh, I'm, uh, going to talk about, uh, this, uh, this movie, uh, came out of France in 2006 called tell no one. Ooh, mm. wanted to watch this one. Uh, I'm, I love, uh, murder mystery stuff, guys. <laughs> I love it so much. And, uh, and, uh, and, and stuff that has this like sort of complex sort of situations with a lot of red herrings thrown in and, and stuff like that. I, I love that type of stuff, but it's about a man and his wife who have known each other since they were kids. They've, they've basically been in love since they were kids and uh, they go to this well-known place that uh, is is a part of their childhood and, you know, sort of, you know, as a, as a getaway and everything. And, uh, and uh, they go out skinny dipping and they, they have the sex and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, they, uh, they're, they're, they're lying there and, and his wife says something to the effect of like, you, you ignored your sister last night. There was some sort of tension with your sister, so on and so forth. And uh, they get in kind of an argument and she jumps into the water and, and swims away from him and, you know, says, you know, let's, let's cool down a little bit. But then he's, uh, he, he hears a noise out in the woods and he knows that there's some danger of some sort. He tries to swim across. And once he gets onto the, onto the pier on the other side, he gets uh, like just hammered, just hit, just hit in the head, in the chest, and he gets knocked into the water. And then the movie goes straight to eight years later Jeez. and, uh, and, uh, a, a couple of bodies have been found and they're in that same area. And it's brought up a whole bunch of stuff again, because apparently back in when his wife died, the police thought that he did it. And now that these two new bodies have shown up, it has brought up some more questions and they start suspecting him again. And, uh, it, uh, you know, in a way it's like the French taken three, <laughs> 
<laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to down. I don't want to downgrade this. This movie came out well before any Taken movie came out, and it's way better. But um, but uh, it, it's got that same kind of thing because the guy is you know is uh, you know wrongfully accused and running away and all that and uh and uh but uh there's all these little pieces that keep coming together and you're like wait a minute what's that all about holy crap and then just some some other thing out of context comes up and you're like how does that fit in and, <laughs> and then and then and then more and more and more stuff gets piled on until of course everything is solved by the end and it keeps even when you think it's like had its moment where it's like okay we know what's going on there's even more twists uh, mm. and everything it's Ooh. great it's great wow great nice. movie but uh i don't know if it'll be on the uh 30 day but it's the type of movie that you can see uh you know uh it, it's the type of movie you can see on movie and it's great and i'm and uh, and hopefully it'll be on the library afterwards and and uh, you can watch it there but um but uh, that was a great movie and they have a whole bunch of stuff right now that uh that is worth uh worth checking out all over the place germany Chad, Brazil. I actually watched a uh, short film from Brazil called Breakwater. I won't go into, but it definitely had, it's a documentary short that had a very unique perspective from an LGBTQ, I say perspective again. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. Uh, India. I mean, these are things that you won't get exposed to any other place. If you go to movie.com, M-U-B-I, M with an, the double M U B I dot com slash cinema sins. That's C I I'm kidding. Uh, cinema sins. You get 30 days free of all this wonderfulness. The 30 movies that, uh, there's a new one added every day and the library and you will be bathed in cinematic, uh, body wash. <laughs> yes. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, movie.com slash cinemasins 30 days free not a red cent from you people for all this cinematic goodness you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> when we uh we interviewed uh stacy martin i um i went back and watched uh some of her movies and uh one that came out uh, was directed by uh Michelle has a Azanavicius, I believe is his nice. name. It's uh, he approved it's, it. <laughs> uh, yeah, she did. Uh, she, uh, he was the director of the artist, uh, that uh, uh that uh, won best picture back in 2011. Uh, he made a movie called uh, Godard Mon Amour, and uh, it's about Jean Luc Godard, and uh, it's about uh, um, when he got married to one of his actresses from a movie called La Chinoise that he made at the time. And it's based on her autobiography. Um, and it's, it's sort of a, um, it's sort of a, um, it's more, it's more about him really. I sort of, I guess her perspective of him during this time that they were married, uh, uh, Louis Garrel or Louis Garrel. I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, how he pronounces it. He was in little women last year. He was, uh, uh, I can't remember that character name. It's whoever Gabriel Byrne plays in the other version of it. Um, uh, but, uh, he, 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 uh, uh, he, uh, was in that movie last year. He plays Jean-Luc Godard and, um, 
and it's just it's an interesting movie if you if you really like you know French cinema and everything and you like the Godard stuff and everything uh it's it's got some cheeky moments to his own to Godard's own films in there there's a lot of like you know inside jokes uh there's a point where uh Garel as as uh as Jean-Luc Godard is like it's like talking about actors and how stupid they are and he's like I could get an actor to say that he's stupid on screen they're so stupid and <laughs> And you know, you you take that for what it is. It's an actor saying he's stupid on <laughs> on a, on a on a movie. Um, but uh, it, it's a, the period of time where Godard uh, was not uh, particularly um, uh, fond of his own work, and he felt like he wanted to um, he needed to branch out. There was a revolution going on in France at the time. Uh, he you know he wanted to be a part of that. Uh, and he wanted to be, uh, he wanted to be a voice there, but a lot of the things that he was saying back in the, those days, uh, were not treated very kindly by the students that were, that were running that whole thing. Um, uh, you know, he, he wanted to be part of it, but he just could, he just didn't have the chops to be a part of it, but he very much wanted to be serious about things. And people would come up to him in the street and saying, I love this movie and I love this movie. And you could see that he was just bothered by it. Mm. Uh, but, uh, Louis Garrel is great. And it's Stacey Martin is great. Uh, he, she, uh, she doesn't get much to do in the movie really, because she is like sort of the, like neglected wife in this, in this thing, because he's so, he's so far up his own ass this mm. whole time that, you know, he's just an asshole and it's, and it can be entertaining asshole, but it can also be like, what a dick. I can't stand <laughs> this asshole, guy. Asshole. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, it's worth watching. I, I, I wasn't sure that it, it had come over to the States, uh, but Stacy Martin assured us that it did. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, I wanted to recommend it just because it's, it's a movie that just kind of probably, it probably went, uh, under everybody's ra- radar and everything. Mm. And, uh, and if you, and if you're really into the French cinema stuff, like I am, you know, you will, you'll enjoy this movie for what it is. Hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's so really this good. Is at the, is this at the transition before he moves into the new wave? I think the new wave had started. Yeah, I don't know what point. that line of demarcation is. Yeah, I don't know either at this point where he where he has he's made he's made a lot of his great films at this point. The stuff like Breathless, we all you know, that's all been made at this point. Um I don't know where he goes from here, actually. Mm. Uh because I'm not as familiar with the stuff once it gets past this period. Mm. Um uh but I think it I think the new wave had happened. It was in the middle of it. Or had happened. There's an also, by the way, there's an interesting juxtaposition. And I don't know if uh, Michelle Azanavicius meant to do this, but, um, but Louis Garrel was also in the dreamers. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and the dreamers was uh, set during that whole French revolution uh, thing. And, uh, and, um, and he plays a character along with Ava green and Michael Pitt. He's uh, one of the people in that apartment. Um, that movie was directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where Louis Garrel, as Jean-Luc Godard, is talking to somebody playing Bernardo Bertolucci. So I just thought that oh. was pretty fun. I don't know if that was on purpose or what, That's but that must have been something for him to be talking to somebody 
who was acting as the director he's worked with before. Yeah. Um, so uh, huh. it's it's interesting. A lot of just you know, like I said, it's a lot of inside stuff, um, inside inside jokes and stuff like that. But it's it's a well made, entertaining movie. You ever seen The Dreamers? Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? Uh, I haven't I seen it. In, I haven't seen it in forever. I tell you what, it didn't. I didn't like it. I didn't, you didn't I, like my, it. My, I was going to say my boner didn't like it, uh, <laughs> and I may have only watched it because of my boner. Mm. Isn't uh, that my, the movie my, with all the my, explicit? My boner sex? very much enjoyed the dreamers. Uh, I'm not sure my mind enjoyed it. See, it's the uh, opposite for me. The t- those scenes where they like were intentionally embarrassing Michael. What's his name? And his oh name. Yeah, yeah, with, with the yeah, picture yeah. on his penis and all yeah, that. I, I was all very uncomfortable for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought uh, I thought it was an interesting film. I need to see it again because it's it's been forever since I've seen it, and I bet I would get more out of it now that I wasn't just you know because back in the day when it came out, all I wanted to see was just naked people. Yeah, I mean that was the, that was the pool the pull. Uh, Bertolucci also did Stealing Beauty, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, so it had a very similar vibe, mm-hmm. very different because one is set in the city and one is set in the countryside and everything, but like it had a very similar dreamlike vibe to it well yeah and he has two scenes uh in in both of those movies uh don't ask me how i know this but i've seen these movies enough to know i guess uh but there are two there in in both movies in where somebody is losing their virginity they always ask can you help me can you help me with this or whatever? Oh, like, yeah. like, can you help guide me or whatever? <laughs> um, they, they, in both movies, there are, there are scenes like that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, the dreamers, there, there's a, the, the, I will say there's one shot. There is one shot of Ava green that I love in this and it is a nude scene, but it's, it's very like artistic and I think it's well done. She comes out of some like, um, she comes out of the room and she's got these black sleeves on and she looks like the Venus de Milo when she comes in. It's absolutely beautifully framed. I mean, because Mm -hmm. it looks like her arms are cut off and her, and the, you know, she's got the, the, the black drape and everything. Yeah. Uh, Eva green. I mean, she's not, it's, it's much like uh, Liv Tyler and stealing beauty. She's not given a whole lot to work with in terms of acting, but, as as being that character, she's very good in that in that role. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hey, I've got a really fun recommend. This is a full recommend. This is like Ooh. a hard recommend. This is. Nice. Uh, I recommend. feel attacked. Uh, you ever seen Margin Call? I have. Uh, once. Okay, I got this weirdly confused with a movie called Game Change. Now, Game Change ah. is nothing like Margin Call because Game Change is about John McCain versus Barack Obama in 2008. Uh, and it could not be more different. <laughs> it's really more about why. Sarah Palin, to be honest. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's they, true. Weren't they both HBO movies? That I think there is some kind of connection. Margin Call got a theatrical release. Uh, Did it? So, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, for whatever reason, this completely passed me by. So I caught it. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that movie about Obama versus McCain. And it turns out here's here's Kevin Spacey arguing with uh, Simon Baker and Demi Moore on my screen. I'm like, oh, OK. OK. So what this is, is a an investment firm on Wall Street. Uh, it happens within 24 hours. 
in an investment firm where somebody, a, a, a risk management analyst played by Stanley Tucci, the Tooch, uh, has found. <laughs> as he's known yes. in, in, in Hollywood circles. Hey, hey, what do you think about the Tooch? Hey, yeah. Tooch. Hey, Tooch. What do you want to do? You want to come be in my Tooch. movie? Tooch. 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 Right. We'll get along. Tooch. But uh, yeah, he's a risk management analyst and he finds something about this firm that is concerning. But before he can really finish this product or project, he is laid off as with or a bunch of people from this. Now, this is around 2007. Okay. We all remember what happened around 2007, 2008. He, before he leaves, he hands off his project to uh, another risk management analyst played by Zachary Quinto. Uh, who helped produce this movie, by the way. Uh, Zachary Quinto gets together with his buddies at his level, uh, played by Penn Badgley and uh, uh, Paul Bettany, who steals this movie from a lot of great people. Uh, Paul Bettany then gives it to his boss, played by Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is high enough in this firm to say, fuck, we are fucked. So he brings in everybody. And by everybody, it's senior management played by Simon Baker, played by uh, Demi Moore and uh, and uh, Asif Manvi. Uh, and everybody gets together and says, hold on. What what happens basically is that we're buying up mortgages. Sound familiar to the big short? Mm-hmm. Yes. We're buying up mortgages that are losing their value. If if and we we keep going on this thing, we're going to owe more than the company's worth. Hence, bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Then they say. Well, are you going to call him? He says, yeah, we'll call him. And him yeah. turns into Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons ah. is the CEO of this company. He comes into the board meeting. This is like midnight at this point. He comes into the board meeting. Everybody sits down and hashes it out. And from there, shit gets wild. Now, it gets wild in, the ter- in terms of it's very talky, all right? It's very backstabby. It's very manipulative. It's very play like but man i dig this shit this is so good this is actors acting you got kevin spacey versus jeremy irons essentially right they're they're at different levels jeremy irons is technically his boss but you can tell they're equals when it comes to uh intelligence knowledge of of things basically what kevin spacey's character is saying is that if we go through this plan to save the company we're going to wreck wall street we're going to wreck the economy. Uh, but basically, Jeremy Irons is saying, I don't really give a shit about the economy. I don't really give a shit about Wall Street. We are going to survive. And if that means massive layoffs and all that stuff, we go with plan A or plan B. But plan A, which is you know liquidating the company and everything and saving the company, requires Spacey's uh, sign-off. Because otherwise, the traders won't trade if he doesn't give the sign-off. So there's this... This headbutting that's going on between these amazing actors. Meanwhile, the junior guys, uh, the Penn Badgley and the the uh, Paul Bettany and the Zachary Quinto is fantastic in this. Are all trying to figure out, you know, if this is accurate. Okay, so I, I've set up the scene. Uh, one thing that completely sells this movie is that you know Stanley Tucci's character has gone off. He's been fired, so he's gone home uh, for, or he's gone AWOL. Basically, they can't find him, and so they finally find him. Uh, as dawn is breaking and they're trying to enact this plan. And so uh, Paul Bettany asked him about like, you know, what do you think about this? You got to come back in and all that stuff. 
And Tucci gives this monologue about, you know, he used to be an engineer and he built a bridge. And instead of commuting around this lake, uh, people were able to, to go through this. And he starts doing these calculations. You know, I saved this many minutes per drive per commute and for this many cars and this many years. And I've saved over, you know, 50 years of people's lives by building this bridge. And it's such an engaging scene that he's talking about math, but he will suck you in. And it's that kind of movie. And I've talked too long about it, but it's awesome. I like how you you talked for a good while. I loved your summary and your recommend of that. I am not in any way insulting, but like right towards the end, you're like, okay, I've set the scene. And I was like, (laughs) we've been talking about this movie for 10 minutes. I cannot cannot recommend this movie enough. Uh, It is really, 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 really good. I could have just said that. (laughs) <laughs> this guy uh, did All Is Lost, and he did uh, A Most Violent Year. He did Triple Frontier. But uh, I like Margin almost Call. all of those movies. <laughs> What's that? I like almost all those movies. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Margin Call since, I think, since it came out. Um, I think it was an HBO, maybe. I'm not sure if it was on HBO first. Hmm. I can't remember, but no, I, I saw it, it. I think it was uh, a theatrical release. I saw it around that time, anyway. Um, um, for the record, Game Change is fucking awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. it is. And when you say <clears throat> HBO, I'm, you're right. Yeah, I saw it on HBO. It it wasn't an HBO release, but I, I see what you mean. But uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I need to see it again because uh, I know that I'd like it a lot more now than I did. Uh, even then, and I liked it back then. So, well, I just I just said the scene. So let me tell you about the rest of it. Mm, okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right, everybody. It's time to talk about cereal box. Cereal box. Mm-hmm. Yum. I um I uh, I delved back into the short stories again, and mm. uh, I found uh, one from Ken Liu called Saboteur. Mm. And um, El Francais. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sabatois. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, short, so I'm going to try to say as much as uh, say as little as I can, but say what it's about basically. But like, it's about a man whose brother has died. He was a truck driver, and he wants to get back at the company that was responsible for it. And mm. he's very uh, he's very um, um, he's, he's distrusting of new technologies and stuff. And the, the sort of the overarching thing that's happening here that truck drivers are going to lose their jobs due to the automatic, uh, uh, the automatic, uh, truck driving computer systems and everything. And, uh, so, so it's, it's very short. It's a 15 minute, uh, watch and listen. That's the thing about cereal box is that you can hear a narrator, uh, talk, uh, uh, read the book basically while you read the uh, the text on the screen and mm. there are many of these types of short stories that are on there yeah there nice. are you actually beat me to that one uh which is fine because uh i ended up choosing uh one that i enjoyed no disrespect to the previous two that i've read on this site because uh, they're both great but uh this one blew my mind uh <clears throat> I, I read a short story called uh i'm pretty sure i'm supposed to say hashtag we flew W E F L U. This is written by a guy named Stephen Barnes, who I was unaware with, but he has an Emmy award winning episode of the outer limits. Um, he wrote for Stargate and Andromeda. 
Um, <clears throat> and he's written a Star Wars novel that was a New York Times bestseller. And this is a recent story. Like he straight up mentions uh, coronavirus in this story. Wow. And the, prem- the premise here is that the quarantine never ends. And that more and more viruses show up before the coronavirus quarantine ends. And this takes place 17 years in the future. And no one goes anywhere. Hmm. And <clears throat> that's the norm. And uh, they just call the collective deadly viruses out there the flu. Um, <clears throat> and that's the initial hook. Well, it's Maybe. This book takes the premise that there are as many foreign bacteria in our bodies as there are bacteria that our bodies produce. Hmm. Um, Like gut bacteria, for instance, is not something that our body produces. It's a foreign to our body bacteria that is sort of has a symbiotic relationship with us because it helps digest our food. Um, So the premise is that this company in the future has figured out a way through this fictional technology called vibe entrapment, I think, Hmm. to tell the foreign bacteria in our bodies what to do and how to behave. It reminded me a lot of Batman Begins, where he's got that limpy fabric and then runs a current through it and it takes a shape. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Only much more sophisticated uh, because this thing, the book opens with this thing, basically, I think giving him like some loving and it's basically just this liquid looking mass of bacteria that comes out of his pores and massages his nerve endings. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> basically this company is trying to figure out how to sell more of them. And they're considering, um, suggesting that they have personalities. These, I forget what they call them. Um, he calls his Perry, um, hmm. And you think, well, that's okay. A couple, couple cool concepts. Nobody goes anywhere. There's this new technology that can, like, you know, massage my stuff whenever I need it. But you know, also ap- apparently it, it it thrives on carbon monoxide. So at night it curls up next to his pillow and sucks in all of his breath that he breathes out. And then there's this whole father son angle that comes out of nowhere to me, and the suggestion that maybe everything I just read didn't even happen. I Loved it. I love yeah. this. It, it's one of the things I love most about Serial Box is that it gives you estimated times. Uh, and again, you can toggle between reading or listening, or you can choose one all the way through. But mine said eight minutes to read, 15 minutes to listen. Um, and in this particular instance, when I was choosing to consume this material, uh, I didn't have a full 15 minutes to listen to the audiobook at the moment. So I chose to, because it gave me the estimated time, I knew it'd be shorter to just read it myself. I was riveted. Uh, I want to read it again. It's one of those. It's one of those rare short story ideas that is close enough to our reality, but wild enough in concept that it just kind of sits in your head and spins around a little bit. So there's a two thumbs up for hashtag We Flew from Stephen Barnes. Nice, very nice. And of course, we're talking about cereal box S E R I A L, not the Smackums or the, <laughs> right. the Frosted Flakes or whatever yeah. you got. This is. Like serials, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, sequential uh, stories. Some are short stories and some are serials, like the one that I read about Thor, which is badass. It's Ooh. Metal Gods, where Loki is a heavy metal guitarist. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and, like, he, he gets into a fight with the band member, but he's a space pirate, and then the worlds collide, and, like, the universe is at risk. And it's mm-hmm, freaking mm-hmm. awesome. 
but yeah, so I read the first one of that. I'm hooked. I'm going to read the rest of it. That's awesome. Cereal Box. Okay, so if you go to cerealbox.com slash syncast, you get 40% off select titles or use the redeeming code syncast. 40% off select titles. You can download it on the, all the mobile apps. Uh, Cereal Box is dope, man. We've, we've had a really good time with it, and I'm going to read the crap out of this Thor Metal God. <laughs> I was absolutely erect when I was reading this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so good. Yeah, of course uh, you were. So yeah, go to serialbox.com slash syncast and, or, or use the redeeming code syncast. 40% off select titles. You're going to love it, man. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Do we want to do some questions? Let's do it, baby. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. I'm excited about this first one. This is right right down the pipe for us. Is it pipe or pike, Chris? Yep. Yep. It's both, pipe. right? Irregardless, mm. your judgment with an E will not matter. I've heard it both ways, though, right? Uh, it doesn't matter. You know what? I found it. I was telling my wife the other day about toe the line and toe the line and how it's T-O-E technically. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing some research for similar phrases, I found, God, I'm going to forget which one it was. No, it's uh, uh, bated breath. Uh, mm. Even the Harry Potter books use it wrong. So there you go. But there's no I in there, right? Right. It's baited like... Um, B-A-T-E-D. It's, yeah, it's actually shortened from abated, meaning you know, with bated breath means you're holding your breath. Uh, and to B-A-I-T breath is gibberish, but it, that's in the Harry Potter books. The point is, really? one of the best-selling authors of all time got one wrong. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> Hey, gang, Casey here from California. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, This is a fun game. A few of my lifelong friends and I are finally moving in together, and we've decided that once a week we'll have a themed dinner and movie night, basically picking a dinner and an alcoholic beverage and watching a movie related to it. Some examples we have so far are the following. Steak, whiskey sours, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I like that. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Spaghetti tacos, Four Locos, Hot Rod. I really mm-hmm. like that. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Calzone, White Sangria, The Godfather. Sure, that yeah. works. Calzone. I, uh, I really feel like in six to 12 months, we're going to get another question from this person, and it's going to say, six months ago, my five best friends and I moved in together, and now we can't stand each other. <laughs> what <laughs> movies do a- you recommend for staying in your bedroom and ignoring your roommates? <laughs> we yeah. haven't had a movie night in six months. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys um, think? You know, uh, this is more down use guys' alley than mine. Like, I... <laughs> I I uh I love food and everything but I feel like you guys prepare more sophisticated items than I do and while I have gone to some nice restaurants and have uh eaten some some good things I couldn't tell you what all of those things were all mm-hmm. the time so I kept mm-hmm. it simple mm-hmm. um hell or high water um mm-hmm. is a is a you know it's a it's a very texas movie so we're going to get Slow cooked brisket sandwich on Texas toast. Very good. Um, and uh, we're gonna have some hickory smoked barbecue sauce. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're gonna have some slaw and some French fries with that. I went and looked at, uh, made a quick Google search of the most popular 
Texas made beers, mm-hmm. and I found one called Carbach. Have you ever had Carbach? Yeah, before? I have not. The, the box are big down there. Shinerbach is another one that's uh, that's really big. But yeah, um, so so that's that's what we're gonna have during our hell or high water uh, pairing. Slow cook like their anger over the way their bank treated their mother's leg. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. Complete aside, <laughs> I uh, I saw some cooking show that came up recommended. I guess because I had been watching a bunch of Babish and everything, uh, and uh, and like uh, they had a it was a, a YouTube video of uh, they had they had taken a uh, some some sort of amazing piece of meat that I can't remember the name of right now, and they cooked it for a month. Oh my god. And uh and so like you know they 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 you know cut uh, cut off some stuff and they uh vacuum sealed it in a bag and then they put it in this water yeah. and let it cook for a month. Sous-vide. And, yeah. And uh and uh and then when they pulled it out they're like yeah don't do this. Don't ever do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I only learned the other day that the ratatouille uh, recipe at the end of Ratatouille, Thomas Keller, a real chef, a real celebrity chef, uh, consulted on the movie and created that recipe. And so I was like, fuck, man, I'm going to make this. And I clicked through and it's like prep time, 52 hours or oh, some shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, you got to cook tomatoes for two days. And like, I'm never going to do this shit. Yeah. I actually think it was a four hour prep time, cook time, but I was, I was immediately still, challenged. And still, away. if you can watch Gone with the Wind and the time that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might as well, I'll just go ahead and do my other one and then you guys can go. Um, I, uh, I, I also did one for the movie go. Um, sweet. uh, Is there any meth? Did you crack sprinkle any meth on top of anything? (laughs) There's no meth, but now that you talk about it, I need to sprinkle some meth on them. I think so. Some MDMA in here somewhere. It's like (laughs) a, like a spice, but yeah, but it's actually aspirin. It's actually (laughs) aspirin. Yeah. Yeah. I feel something. Um, no, uh, Go is a is a is a movie that I've always described as that perfect like night movie. Like I could you could watch this movie at four o'clock in the morning if you were mm-hmm. like you know the type that would just stay up at all hours. Go at four o'clock would be fucking amazing. Yeah, and um, and uh, and the movie will give you the sense of having some sort of hangover by the end of it because the way all these people are doing all sorts of drugs and they're staying up all night. And they're doing all these different things. And by the, by the morning, when the morning hits, it's this, there's this sort of like, oh my God, thank God that night's over and everything. <laughs> so, uh, you need to have a meal like chicken and waffles, uh, nice. in the morning. And, uh, and you, uh, and you put some like, you know, some honey barbecue over that, over that, over that chicken. And, uh, as a, as a drink, I know that, uh, a bunch of friends of mine, uh, when they were hung over, they used to drink more beer. So that uh-huh. they wouldn't feel it uh, yes. and everything. So I was thinking something refreshing, like a Blue Moon or a Hefeweizen or something nice. like that, along with the chicken and waffles, and that would be the perfect go meal. It's amazing how many people have their own hangover cures instead mm-hmm. of just drinking a 32-ounce glass of water before you go to bed and popping an <laughs> ibuprofen. Because yeah. a hangover is quite literally dehydration. That's mm. all it is. Uh, but people do all this. I know somebody that does like tomato sauce with like a shot dropped in it. And I'm like, well, okay, you're just getting buzzed again. But I mean, have some water before you go to bed or even right when you wake up, hangover is not that big a deal. Unless you drink like 
What am, am I crazy, Barrett? You're no, laughing like a, I'm wrong. That's exactly what I would do during my more harder drinking days was yeah. to, if I knew that I was going to have like uh, all sorts of like, uh, I knew it was going to be bad in the morning, I would take aspirin and drink a bunch of water and it would always yeah. make it better. Well, yeah, you've yeah. got to be, you've got to be with it enough at that point to do it. I really that is also have, the have other issue. gotten yeah. hangovers over the years for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, whenever I, whenever I do, yeah, you drink a bunch of water, you drink some Gatorade or something like that. You replenish. I usually eat some greasy food like chicken and waffles. Now go happens in LA, right? So yes, that's like yeah. the epicenter the of chicken and waffles. Yeah, man. Uh, there's, um, there's several of those things out there. Yeah. You know, oh, I just read that 7% of people in the world never get headaches. Hmm. Oh, really? Oh, my God. What, what must it be like to be one of those fuckers? No shit. Uh, why, why aren't they walking around prancing like king of the castle? Like, I don't <laughs> ever get headaches. Why aren't they like a club on Twitter, like bragging that shit? God. <laughs> I don't ever get headaches. Headaches are the worst. All right. Do you want me to go, Barrett? Yes. I prepared three menu uh, and uh, uh, movie pairings. I took this way more seriously than I should have. And so I hope the question asker tries at least one of these yeah uh first the movie sideways uh which mm -hmm. we are famously in love with now i feel like this movie is about miles stewing in his own self-loathing but we are in wine country on the california coast so the mm. main entree is going to be seafood stew ah toasted stinky cheese because i think there's a lot of sweaty scenes in this movie yeah and then i am demanding you absolutely must drink merlot <laughs> yeah. Uh, By the way, there are some spectacular Merlots out there. There are, in fact, the Coppola wines, uh, the Merlots, the absolute best of actually, all of those Ford Coppola wines. In it fact, is. that's the best Merlot I've ever had. Um, <clears throat> okay, second one, The Matrix, my favorite movie. I figure mm -hmm. not. Why not? We're gonna go with uh, Cipher's giant dry aged ribeye. Nice. Uh, it needs to be at least 22 ounces. Um, <laughs> it looks corn like chowder. Corn chowder to simulate the protein that, that they eat on the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and Thai noodles, because uh, Neo makes this reference to that place that had great noodles. Mm. And we'll cap it off with a homemade chocolate chip cookie from the Oracle. Mm -hmm. And you serve this with a really good Pilsner. And I chose Scrimshaw because it's the best Pilsner I've ever had. And I can't get that shit in Tennessee. And it makes me sad. <clears throat> really? Mm. Yes, I've only been able to get it in L.A. Uh, I think it's an L.A. local brewery. Interesting. Um, hmm. But, um, <clears throat> yes. And now my third one, I shouldn't have done three. The Informant uh, with uh, Mark Watney? No, Mark <laughs> Whitaker. <laughs> Whitaker. <laughs> this movie's all about corn, baby. So corn on the cob, cornbread, chicken breasts with corn salsa. Nice. Yeah. But all the but all the corn dishes will be labeled as soy or lima bean dishes as a blatant lie to <laughs> basically simulate Mark's lying. Yeah. And then we're going to serve Moscato uh, because it's very, very sweet. And uh, <clears throat> the day will be sour as fuck. So don't need to be yeah. both yeah. of you. This is good. This is good stuff. <laughs> nice. There you nice. go. I actually spent maybe. 45 minutes on that, and I'm not even ashamed. It was a very uh, fun question. I spent nearly that much on that. So what I've got, I also really, really love this question. Uh, my first one is going to be Amelie, the, the okay. Parisian movie mm. uh, from 2000, 2001, Chris? Mm. 2001, I think, sounds right. Uh, so uh, as I talked about before, I recently went to Paris, thankfully before all this craziness, uh, and I had... 
the most amazing one of the, the the meals that stuck out to me was the crepes. So we went to uh, the University of Sorbonne, and outside of the Sorbonne, I googled best crepes in in Paris. Hey, you're American. You can just call them crepes, buddy. It's all right. Well, it's, I mean, it's crepes. You don't you call them crepes? Americans that I talk to. We live in Tennessee, dude. Do you not talk to people? Crepes, crepes, whatever. I'm joking. Crepes <laughs> is correct. I'm saying ignorant Americans would say crepes. I, I'm joking. Crepes are crepes. You're doing fine, young man. But what we had, uh, no, what what you have in America typically are like sweet stuff, right? Like you get strawberry or cream cheese or whatever. Yeah, the exactly, hell like there. dessert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get that there. In fact, my son plowed through like six of them. Wait. Uh, the sweet ones. Wait. Huh? On what? Seinfeld, there's a whole episode about rolling crepes, and they call them crepes. Do, they do call them crepes. You're correct. Yeah, with the yeah. with the Dominicans that aren't Cuban. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Rolling too tight. I'm sorry. That's it. I'm just saying Americanized. I think people say crepes, but crepes right. is correct. And you went to Paris, so you can go ahead and crepe, crepe. stick your nose in the air. <laughs> tomato, tomato. But what we had were savory crepes, and they were fucking amazing. I'm talking about like mm. fontina and mushroom mm. and like spinach and like ham, jambon. And cheese and and stuff like that. Oh my god, it was the most amazing thing. So you have to make, is, huh? I was just going to ask if you know what makes a crepe different from a pancake or a, a tortilla. Like, what is it made from? That super thin. It- I don't. I, I think there are various things, just like pancakes. I think there are okay. various recipes, but but you it's, know, it's basically texture. a pancake recipe, just lighter and f- flatter, super, and it's got to awesome. be made on that little uh, thing. They used to have it across the street. In the park at the Museum of Modern Art in Chicago, they had the farmer's market. They would make their own crepes, and they'd have the special, like, crepe tool on the big platter. And yeah. they're just super thin, and you roll them up, and oh, and you get them done right. It's amazing. I learned on yeah. Frasier that you have to season your crepe pants. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, of course, because otherwise you won't be able to, to flip them and move them and stuff like that. I never knew what it meant, but I've seen that episode. <laughs> I don't have a crepe pan, but whatever. Anyway, you should like do that. that. You should also have some mussels and crusty bread. Uh, mm. I had some, some mussels out there with uh, this wonderful garlic broth, crusty bread. You dip them in there. Oh, my God. Especially if you eat it by the, the, the river or the sea. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. And also, and you can get what I <laughs> my, my favorite thing about being in France was the wine and particularly the rosé. So in Provence, they make the most famous rosé wine. Never was a fan of rosé. It's too sweet. It's too sour. It's too weird. But in France, in Provence in particular, they have like almost a clear rosé. And it is spectacular. So, mm-hmm. and you can get it here. You can get good uh, 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 rosé here. So get I some crisps, uh, get some mussels and crusty bread and get some rosé and watch Amelie. Isn't it rosé what uh, Mad Men's getting drunk on on the beach and get out? I mean, us. <laughs> Okay, you just went, you just went like nine <laughs> different ways right there. So even Elizabeth I can't Moss. follow you on this one. Elizabeth Moss has said something like, "This this this uh, rosé is delicious," and, and her husband <laughs> says, "Oh, you're going for thirds, right? Am I wrong? It sounds. I know right. my labels were all no, wrong. No, she's on the beach. Yes, with Lupita Nyong'o. Yes, and I think I she's drinking rosé. Uh, I have had rosé twice uh, served as a. Uh, uh, a dish pairing at a restaurant and uh-huh. both times found it to be awesome. But like yeah. you, I have not had a rosé that I picked myself uh, that I've ever really enjoyed. It's very sweet. We literally, in Nice, there's the, in the old Nice, there's like this old like tunnel ways, basically alleyways. 
And in the middle of like a cave, there's a little kiosk, like a little, little like convenience store. And in one of the, the displays that had Diet Coke and shit like that, there was like a bottle of rosé. And we were like, all right, it's three bucks or something like that. It was the best rosé I've ever had. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, Probably yeah. helps that you were in France, but. Anyway, yeah. you can get it for $17 or something like that here. So have that meal, Casey. Uh, I, I've got a couple more if you guys have, uh, you know. A couple oh, minutes. hit me. Hit all me. right. So recently I had the pleasure of watching Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. I did this too. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. So, so you had much pleasure watching Hobbs and Shaw. God. God, that fucking movie, dude. Right? The kid wanted to watch it. Mm-hmm. And man, watching his face light up when I finally said, All right. I did mm-hmm. that Jerry Seinfeld. Like, All right. <laughs> uh and uh yeah, he he enjoyed it. But Jesus Christ. So what I want to pair with is a cheese-stuffed, sausage-filled pizza. You wad that thing up. You put meat around it. You make it into a burger. So you got a pizza into a burger. Then you want to dump that in the deep fryer. This is starting to sound like that SNL commercial for Taco Town. Then you take it out. You wrap it in a tortilla. You then bread that, right? And then you throw it back in the fryer and make a chimichanga, right? So now you got a pizza, or you got a sausage in a pizza, in a burger, in a chimichanga. And then you get a case of Bud Light Lime, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. will make you feel great in the morning. Right. <laughs> and you just hoove that shit down. It won't even make you drunk. It'll just like piss you off. And mm-hmm. then you gnaw into the chimichanga pizza burger sausage thing. And that'll be a perfect compliment mm-hmm. to Hobbs and Shaw. We're definitely relitigating movie recipes with that one right there. <laughs> You know what's funny is I have hooked Dicer on Top Chef, and so occasionally he will privately message me something about Top Chef. And he said, episode four of season four is movie recipes. And I go, oh, no, what do you mean? And he was like, everybody had to cook something inspired by a movie. And I was like, we ripped it off. And he was like, not really. They all did really lame things. And they were like, oh, it's an Italian movie. I'm going to make lasagna or whatever. Yeah. Like Nobody yeah. put any thought into it uh, like the people on our movie recipes. Well, you could also say that they then ripped – you off again because when Charlize came in season ten, uh, when oh. when did uh, Snow White and the Huntsman come out? Was that two thousand twelve? Two thousand twelve. She was she, that when that girl put a chicken foot on the the black chicken foot on the yes. plate. That yeah, was yeah, a yeah. fucking awesome episode. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. But it was a movie recipe. It wasn't. I don't think it was even inspired by her movie. It was any movie at that point. So they they repeated themselves. Interesting. Interesting. Anyway, I, yeah. I also feel bad for Dicer because he's rooting for Blaze. Oh, season four. And he doesn't he doesn't know. Well, he may he might by the time this airs. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's like the end of seven where uh where uh you know where uh, Kevin Spacey like lets out the you know the the fact that you know she she pled for the for the life that was inside her and Morgan Freeman slaps him before he, he but it's too late. But it's too late. And Kevin Spacey's like, oh, he, he didn't, didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Bono! <laughs> uh, I have a jokey answer, by the way. It, 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 mostly jokey. Uh, if you have uh, bacon and pancakes, eight lines of cocaine, and a bottle of whiskey, watch Pulp Fiction. There you go. Ooh, Blueberry good. pancakes. You can blueberry pancakes, yeah, bacon uh, with good. the bacon. Bacon tastes good. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, eating a lot of bacon lately. They so didn't have good. any. I had to get buttermilk. 
<laughs> and grab yourself a bottle of whiskey. You know what's, uh, you know, Vincent, I still don't ever understand this. Vincent is high off his balls when he gets to, to uh, Mia's house, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he's just kind of wandering around and he's the two African fellows and he does the thing. But then like all of a sudden, he's pretty cool. Like he just kind of shakes it off. He goes over, sniffs the bottle, has a drink, walks around, and then she she does the thing, drives her completely fine over to Jackrabbit Slims, and then he has a normal conversation with her. She's. I don't think that conversation could be described as normal, but I get your meaning. I mean, it's as normal as those characters would have if they were sober. I agree. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I mean, that's 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 not the madman. If he did that and he came out of that shit that quick. That's not the madman. He should be on his ass for like 12 days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you're probably right. I love that part in Hustlers when uh, Constance and J-Lo are working on the recipe for the stuff they're drugging guys with. And it cuts from them like leaning in to sniff it to them like both completely passed out <laughs> on the floor like hours later. <laughs> um, all right. That's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter. Music video since Twitter, we're on uh, SoundCloud, we're on Discord, and if you want to get on Discord, you can either go to our Reddit page and find a link on the right side of the page there, or you can private message me on Facebook and I'll give you a link there. But that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. I saw that scene from 21 Jump Street the other day. Uh, it was <laughs> on just before I went to bed. I, uh, I It was just getting to that, and I was like, ah, I gotta watch this part. That's nearly good. a perfect scene from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Because you have the... They take it, and then they stick their fingers in each other's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then they have that whole thing with the coach, and then yep. it's off and running. And he's like, I gotta crow! <laughs> <laughs> you know what I did read all the way through? And I rarely read books, but I'm trying to do like sleep hygiene, you know, where you're actually like turning off the the TV and the phones and all that stuff and reading like actual books before you go to bed. So I've been reading a lot lately. Uh, And I read uh, uh, Drew McGarry's new book. And (laughs) it's weird because it's good. It's a it's called Point B. It's like a it's like a transportation like port anywhere that you want to very similar to to emmeline in the ables ah. uh where you can port wherever you want to everybody can port wherever they want to but it's owned by this evil organization called portsis and the main character is a female lesbian 17 year old and like he writes it very very well it's a very compelling book and everything but like having read his columns for so long, I cannot imagine that voice in a 17-year-old lesbian girl. <laughs> Let me say this. What does what does sound right is the balls it would take to write something like that for a middle-aged white man. Like yeah, I would totally. never I would never have the courage to write that. And 
that sounds like a Drew McGarry thing. Is he's yeah, the kind yeah, of guy yeah. that would do something most people would not dare to try, and I bet it's pretty good. It is. It is really good. I bet actually you guys would like it. Want to try it in the nose? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, French my hole, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody also asked me on the fly in a script to do a Paul Giamatti, and I think I got like halfway there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that was me. It felt like a Barrett. What was it? It was a Giamatti. It was a, I'm not drinking fucking Merlot. Or you, it's something about as, Merlot. As long as you get close to the like cadence of what something, how something is said, then nobody cares if it sounds exactly like it. I agree. And in, even further than that, they will say it's a really good impression as long as you get close to the cadence. Yes. Um, your, uh, your Pacino on the, uh, oh, which, which one was that? It was Vanity is my favorite scene. And then it was, no, 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 Lust. Oh, it was Alien 3. That's what it was. Your Pacino yeah. was, was good. You like that? Uh, <laughs> <Vanity. Vanity. laughs> I'll tell you what I did see. I saw uh, your boy, uh, uh, Denzel, in Out of Time. Oh. I'd never, I'd never seen that movie before. Out of Time. Decent. It's, it's hilariously absurd. dramatic. It it's is. Hilariously. It's hilariously. Every, every shot is a zooming close-up. Like, it starts back here, and then it's... Mm-hmm. And it's Denzel like pouring sweat, like flop sweat from the 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 Miami Heat or whatever it is. Miami. I saw that movie. <laughs> I saw that movie, but I couldn't tell you what it's about. It's him covering up his tracks, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And the bad guy is Dean Kane. <laughs> of course he is. Wait, which one is this? I thought it's, out of time no, was the hospital one where he. Oh, no, that's, that's John, John Q. Q. John Q. John Q. <laughs> There was a period of time where Denzel Washington was coming out with basically the same movie every time he came out with something new, but they all made the same amount of money every weekend. Like it was like, like uh, the new Denzel made $22 million this, on its opening weekend. And then, you know, it would make its what total of 60 or 70 million and then get out of, get out of theaters. But like in that out of time period, he was making a lot of those types of movies. It's uh, you've seen. I'm sure you've seen this movie, but it's I'm it's sure. him where he's he's the chief of police and he's in the Hawaiian shirt the whole okay. time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's sleeping with the girl, yeah. but then she turns up dead. Eva Mendez, but she, no, Eva Mendez is is his ex who's now no. like a highfalutin hey, detective. If, if I got the movie right, if I got the movie right, I don't care if I got the, her character wrong. I'm impressed yeah. enough that she's in that movie. I don't know what the age difference is, but it's not believable. Is it? Yeah, uh, it well, it really Mendes and Denzel Washington, it's a good uh, 20 years. Yeah. Is yeah. it uh, Tommy Lee Jones and... Uh, fuck. Uh, blonde... ER ladies, <laughs> blonde ER ladies from the, the from the from the Viggo Mortensen movie about the being a killer. Maria Bello, Maria Bello, and Tommy Lee Jones. Is it that different? <clears throat> what movie is that? Uh, it's this Ben Affleck, Kevin Costner movie called. Uh, <laughs> it's about losing your job during the market crash of two thousand eight or whatever. Oh. What? Oh, oh! I know exactly what you're talking about. I've never seen it. I briefly I mentioned it, it like a year ago. I remember this movie though. It's no good. But Affleck loses his job. Um, and oh, I remember you mentioning like it. Yeah. Chris Cooper, I think, is here. But Tommy Lee Jones is like the boss, boss, and he's he and Maria Bello are sleeping together. 
Um, that came well. Tommy Lee is what seventy, probably seventy six. I'll tell you what. Whatever the age gap is between them on screen, it looks twice as big. Well, you could cut a tree with that jaw. Yeah, you could. <laughs> you could. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously, it's it's uh, it's jagged, man. No, I, I got no. You can you you shave. You can you can accidentally what shave. What an analogy! Beard. I've never heard that one. That's a what an analogy. That's yeah. They 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 in that showbiz kids, which one of you is going to bring up uh, later? Uh, I felt like I I felt like if they could have, I don't know if if Brooke Shields just wasn't available or if she didn't want to talk about it or what, but that would have been fascinating. Yep. When they got to Brooke Shields, I was like, Oh shit, we're going to hear some shit now. And they, you know, kind of lightly dusted, you know, they dusted pretty baby and, and blue lagoon and then just kind of went away from Brooke. Shields. Well, and they didn't even interview her, right? No, like, no, no, all no. That footage for her was archival, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then it was, they did, Mention return to the blue lagoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Mila Jovovich. Right. Yeah, remember when Dr. Dre showed up at the end of that one track that Eminem did and they said, Yeah, that album's coming out, and then it was like Chinese democracy links. <laughs> it was the aftermath, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you say to somebody you hate? Yeah. <laughs> Try to bring WA? <laughs> <laughs> Try to take NWA. This is in, uh, the uh, the kids are all right. Where uh, where the the kids uh, uh, find Julianne Moore and Annette Benning's uh, porn or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and and uh, and Julianne Moore says something about like I can't get into it because these actresses are not really lesbians, and you have to really you have to really search to find the good stuff or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and start this podcast. <laughs> what, what the fuck are we doing? By the way, did I say it right? Was is it Emmeline? It is yeah. Emmeline, right? Yeah, it's Emmeline. I think yeah. I, that's a, I think how I was uh, pronouncing it in my head. Emmeline. Yeah, it was the Ben Folds inspired. You've heard yeah. that? I thought yeah. that was like a B side that nobody's heard. If it is, I mean, I at one point I owned ev- the first three albums. I owned everything they put out. Oh, that's on Naked Baby Photos, though, right? Like it's uh, on one of his his early ones. It's I it's a live so. song, right? Yeah, her voice is what getting deeper and deeper. She's going to sound it like is. Leonard Cohen by the time she's thirty five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me that crack. <laughs> I, was gonna, I, I was thinking more uh, Fleetwood Mac, but okay, Let's we just go. can stop. <laughs> <laughs> I came in like a Rick and Bird. <laughs> I actually do have one. There was a, a movie, a porno movie, uh, that was uh, that was considered the best porn movie of all time, like cinematically. Thunderclap, mm. and I watched it with a bunch of buddies. We weren't jerking it or anything like that, right? And and it was a, a riotous time. It was wonderful. It, we were talking, it was a bunch of film students. We were talking about like how, like, you know, the shot was framed and all that stuff. And I probably yeah. don't want to watch that movie again. So, so maybe I do have an answer. Um, but yeah, the, hey, uh, I need to see Thunderclap. No, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about with Picasso trigger? I don't No. There was this, uh, this, uh, director, I, Jonathan's the only, he's the only, uh, person who knows along with me. Uh, but, uh, there's this guy named Andy Sidaris who used to come out with all these, like, you know, 
uh, action movies with just, you know, just millions of titties in them all the time. That was basically what those movies were. And they would always play it on like Cinemax and stuff like that late at night. And, uh, and, uh, my first, I didn't watch Picasso trigger when I was eight or anything like that, but I watched, I watched it when I was probably 19 or 20 or something like that. Nice. And, uh, and you know, those are your, those are, those are some, some, some great times when you can, you can, uh, sit down with the Nandy Sidoris movie and, and, uh, you know, watch some, watch some dumb action, some terrible acting and some titties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in, uh, in clerks where like, uh, where, uh, uh, uh Randall runs out. like, you're not allowed to rent here anymore. And Jason Muse is like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 